and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Arthur Snell. Amidst the horrors of the war in Ukraine, it's easy to forget that many Russians have been arrested and harassed by the agents of the state for protesting that war. And it's also easy to forget that Alexei Navalny, Russia's opposition leader, has been in prison since his return to Russia from Germany in January 2021. To help remind us of these things, I'm delighted to be joined today by Daniel Rohr, director of an incredible new film called Navalny, about this remarkable man and the past two years of his life, from his poisoning in Siberia to his return to Russia. Daniel, welcome to The Bunker. Thank you so much. It's good to be in The Bunker. It's great to have you. And let me just start by saying congratulations. The film, it's exciting. It's like watching a spy thriller, but it's also very moving, particularly towards the end. I mean, there's no spoilers. We know how it ends with Navalny's arrest. Tell me, how did you become involved with this project? How, How did this begin for you? I was working on a completely different project with the investigative journalist Christo Grozev, this sort of Sherlock Holmes with a laptop who heads the investigative outlet Bellingcat. Christo and I and our producer, the producer of the film, one of the producers of the film, Odessa Ray, were doing a totally different film. That film wasn't going well. And we found ourselves in October of 2020 in limbo in Vienna, trying to figure out what our next move was. And that's when Christo walked in one day and he said, hey, guys, I think I have something else. I think I have a lead in Who Tried to Poison Alexei Navalny. And as a filmmaker, I immediately understood the potential of that story. And a week later, Christo, Odessa and I were driving across Germany to meet with Navalny and his chief investigator, Maria Pevchik. And Christo in this film, he's kind of the co-star. So as you've described him, he's Sherlock Holmes with a laptop. And this comes up in the film. It's somebody who you kind of assume must be working for MI6 or the CIA, but he isn't, is he? He's a citizen intelligence officer. No, Christo Grosev is, to put it simply, a genius. He's a man who speaks like a dozen languages. He's independently wealthy. He's an entrepreneur and and works in media. And he spends his free time as a hobby doing these investigations. It's unbelievable. It's almost too much to believe. But having spent so much time with him, um, having sat next to him and watched every single morsel of his investigation unfold in front of me, it's just extraordinary. But the truth is, he's just one guy. He's a one-man intelligence operation who puts all these big government agencies to absolute shame. And it's kind of miraculous. Yeah, it is. The story, of course, is probably familiar to the listeners. Navalny was at an event in Siberia. He was on a flight. And on the flight, he suddenly fell ill, cried out in pain. And and you've got some of that footage. And he's rushed into a hospital. And then, as people will recall, after some delays that may well have been deliberately done in order to sort of mask the the trail, he's, he's eventually flown to Germany, where he makes his convalescence. But up until the point that Christo brought this story to Navalny, had he any lead on who had tried to kill him? They didn't. Alexei Navalny, as we know, has his own investigative outlet. But we have to remember that the investigative work that the Anti-Corruption Foundation and Alexei Navalny himself carries out is very specific into corruption and and white-collar crime and looking at embezzlement and and stolen money and hidden assets and this type of thing. Solving the case of a murder or a would-be murder of a poison that takes place on Russian territory in Siberia is not really in the specific niche investigative wheelhouse of the Anti-Corruption Foundation and Maria Pevchik, who runs Navalny's investigation department. And so I really think that Navalny and his staff 
looked towards Bellingcat and were almost waiting for Bellingcat to come up with some leads. Bellingcat is famous, of course, and Chris Sogrozet is famous for solving the case of the identities of the Skripal poisoners in the UK in 2018. And so what Christo brought to the table was the pedigree to do very sophisticated data-driven journalism that exposes the identities of Russian agents tasked with poisoning people. And I think that Navalny's people were just waiting for that knock at the door. The story on on one hand is is this kind of investigative thriller, but it's also a moving personal story. And certainly for me, I, I follow Russia very closely, but the character of Alexei Navalny, somebody who's a family man, he's a devoted father, he's grappling with his own mortality. And of course, his family are, are very much part of that really frightening story. You captured that very well. But it was clearly a challenging relationship. And that came out on film at some time. Can, can you say something about that? Well, that's that's a good read, a smart read and a good observation. Alexei Navalny is a complicated character. He's a controversial character. He is a politician who is demanding of scrutiny. And I, I really framed myself as my job to make sure that we made this film with a critical eye. And I think Navalny appreciated the integrity of that approach. Ultimately, of course, there were moments that were contentious, that were uncomfortable between us. But I think those moments are what make the film so interesting. And I think Navalny appreciated that I was someone who wouldn't be afraid to ask him about challenging things and push him on challenging things. Absolutely. One of the things about the film, it, it's an insight into a, a man who is living in constant, I don't want to say fear, but constant awareness of his own mortality. Of course, he survived the Novichok poisoning that was designed to kill him. But that's just one of, of a series of threats sort of pushed at him. Do you think in in a strange way, he's almost sort of liberated by the knowledge that, you know, his life may not be a very long one? I wouldn't say that. I don't agree with that, that assessment. Alexei Navalny is an individual who has a family, wife and kids who plans on living a long and full life. He has political aspirations and career aspirations, of course, as we all know. But of course, his job is dangerous. He understands that. He's a man who is not a fool. He gets that what he's doing requires courage and bravery. And I think the way he copes with the circumstance and the danger involved is by choosing to actively not think about it. Alexei doesn't wake up every morning thinking about, oh, today might be the day where they kill me. It's quite contrary to that. He ignores it. Really, he doesn't think about it. He doesn't engage with it. His family doesn't engage with it. And so in the film, when I forced him to think about these things, as many journalists have and, and hopefully will in the, in the future, that was annoying for him. And that was like an eye roll, like, oh, Daniel, no, don't ask me about these things. It's something that he was sort of uh, thought was obnoxious. But of course, as you are interested in this subject, as was I, how can this guy who does this dangerous work not think about his own mortality constantly? Because the rest of the world certainly does. Going back to this sort of story of the investigation, as you've identified, you know, originally it was it was Christo and, and his unique abilities that sort of brought this story to Navalny. But in the end, almost the, the kind of the coup de grace in terms of finding out what had happened was Navalny himself with his extraordinary prank call where he, he rings up uh, one of the scientists pretending to be a senior Russian official and the guy tells him the whole story. We know it's real because this is a documentary. It was reported at the time. But it's sort of unbelievable. And, and as someone on the film said, that if you'd put this in a, you know, in, in a, a fictional uh, movie script, people would have said, oh, you've gone too far there. How did it feel to be observing that? Well, I think one thing the phone call 
And one critic referred to it as the greatest prank call in cinema history, which I thought was fantastic. But one thing that the phone call scene reminds us is that truth is stranger than fiction. It could not be scripted. When we shot that scene, my expectations for what would happen that day were very modest. I talked to Christo the night before and he said, oh, come on, man, you know, these guys are dumb, but they're not that dumb. They're not going to say anything meaningful. It might be a nice set piece for the film, but don't expect anything too dramatic to unfold. Well, I don't speak a word of Russian, but you didn't have to speak Russian to understand that something extraordinary was transpiring. And as I was sitting there, I was on the second camera, Nikki Waddle, the Lightmaster DP of the film was on ACAM and I was keeping everybody in focus. And I just remember thinking to myself, hold it steady, keep it in focus. We have enough battery. There's enough space on the hard drive. Just keep shooting. And we understood in that moment that what we were capturing was critical, vital, historic, and perhaps the most extraordinary thing any of us would ever film. Surely, yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Watching the, as you say, the reactions as they realize that this guy has completely fallen for it and he's going to say everything. And then what really struck me, I mean, there are, there are so many aspects to it, but Navalny, you know, clearly a remarkable person, but the way he keeps his cool, keeps up the act, yeah, you know, that to, to be able to do that, to keep the call going and and not not just sort of start start whooping or, or, or whatever, you know, and it, it I think it shows that he's an incredibly cool customer. Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, I had this nice moment where a gentleman approached me after a screening in Copenhagen not too long ago and said, oh, my God, Navalny should be nominated for an acting Academy Award because that performance was extraordinary. And it's true. The performative quality it took to maintain that ruse, to keep up the facade and the prank. And Kudratsev never caught on. The scene is about 10 minutes in the film, but the call in reality was 45, 50 minutes. And Alexei never broke character. It was an extraordinary performance. Now, we should talk a bit about Kudratsev. What do we know about what became of him? Kudratsev has disappeared. His wife divorced him. The phones of his relatives, his sister, has been shut off. And he has seemingly ceased to exist. And for someone like Christo Grozev, who mines data to discover the truth, that's obviously very unsettling and is indicative of a very sinister, dark fate. It's very difficult for me to think about, but I really do believe Konstantin Kudratsev was killed for his faux pas. Where does that sit in terms of this film and its own sort of ethical standing? This is an incredibly important film and it tells an incredibly important story. Well, I mean, the ethics of, of that, I, I, you know, I, I'm not an ethicist, so I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. What I'll speak to is my own personal opinion. Konstantin Kudratsev was a father. He had a son. We know that. So the situation is tragic. But we must remember that this was a man who was involved in an industrial operation, an industrial killing machine to murder dissidents, to murder oppositionists with chemical weapons, illegal substances. He was a secret agent with a secret cover who told the entire story of this operation on an unsecured line. I just happened to be sitting there with a camera filming it. Konstantin Kuprasov made his own bed. It's shocking to think about, but I have no problem sleeping at night. I had no responsibility for any of this man's actions or the crimes that he committed. But 
you can't help but feel for the fact that he was a human being and empathize for the child he left behind. It's it's sad, certainly. Yeah. And of course, that type of empathy is the type that he would have denied to his own victims. Navalny himself, the film shows a side to him which may be familiar to Russians who follow his social media, his TikTok. He's playful. He's funny. He knows how to kind of really manipulate modern culture. And you can see how that appeals particularly to, to young people in Russia. And we see him there in Germany. He's in safety. He's in this beautiful place in the Black Forest. And he makes a decision to return to Russia. What ultimately do you think drove that? Because one might argue that he's now in Russia. He's in prison. He's, he's facing a lengthy sentence Perhaps he could have done more on the outside. It's a great question. It's a vital question. And it's the question that everybody wants an answer to. And there is no right or wrong answer. At the end of the day, that was a decision that was made between Alexei Navalny and his higher power and his family. And it's very easy for you or I, in hindsight, to criticize that decision. But I think if Alexei were here right now, and if he were able to answer the question himself, what he might say, a question he might pose back to you is, how can I, as the leader of the Russian opposition, ask people, encourage people to take to the streets, to protest, to risk going to prison, to risk bodily harm? How can I ask people to do that sitting comfortably in Berlin or Vienna? or Vilnius. I think what Alexei Navalny understood is that to be the moral leader of a nation, he had to lead by example. He had to show the world and show more importantly, the Russian people that they don't have to be afraid, that the Kremlin and the regime will try and arrest one man to frighten millions, but ultimately don't be afraid. And I think that message is incredibly powerful and is an inspiration, not just to the Russian people, but to the entire world where the rise of authoritarianism continues to proliferate. Everyone has personal agency and responsibility. And what Navalny reminds us is that we must not be inactive. We must not be apathetic. Evil is able to proliferate when good people do nothing. So do something. Don't be inactive. Absolutely. Of course, another character in this movie is Vladimir Putin, a man who can't bring himself to utter Navalny's name, although he's clearly obsessed with the guy. Obviously, since the events of the film, we've seen an even darker side of Putin, his willingness to launch a major war, his willingness to deny the existence of an entire country, an entire culture. How do you think Navalny's story is sort of changed and shaped by the events of Ukraine. Well, Maria Pevchik, Alexei's chief investigator, said something that I thought was interesting yesterday. She said that if we could rename this film and rename the Alexei Navalny story, she would call it the I told you so story. Right. Alexei Navalny, I told you so. Alexei Navalny has been trying to expose the corruption, the murder, the tyranny of Vladimir Putin and his inner circle for the better part of a decade, if not longer. Vladimir Putin is now poised to go down in history as one of the great tyrants of all time. He has fashioned himself after the great tyrants of the 20th century. He needs to be referred to by what he actually is, Vladimir Putin, war criminal, who murders children every single day. And this is what Alexei was warning us about. And the world didn't listen. It's tragic. It's a human tragedy of, of uh, unimaginable proportions. And I just hope that the good people, nations with a conscience, band together stick together, support Ukraine, 
in whatever means necessary to end this egregious war. And I hope at the very least, this disastrous catastrophe will signal the end of Putin's Russia and the end of Vladimir Putin. And it certainly seems to be in a weird way that it is such a disaster that people now talk with almost a level of certainty about a post-Putin Russia which perhaps we didn't do before. So is that then something that we should be thinking that Russia's next president could be Alexei Navalny? Well, first and foremost, I think the world can see with greater clarity that Russia is not Putin and Putin is not Russia. Russia's fate is not tied to this one tyrant. And perhaps it is possible that the Russian people can break this cycle of tyranny that they've been living under for hundreds of years. Whether or not Alexei Navalny is the next president of Russia, I'm not sure. Whether or not Alexei Navalny would be a good president or a good leader of Russia, I'm not sure. What I know of, what I'm confident in, and what I personally fight for and advocate for in my own way as, a, as an artist and a filmmaker, is that Alexei Navalny and any other citizen of Russia who wants to run for the presidency in a competitive, free, democratic election has that chance. Whether Alexei wins or not, that's not up to me. I'm not sure if he will. But what would be an extraordinary moment in history is if he has the chance to compete and leave it up to the Russian people to decide their own fate, to choose for themselves what kind of country they want to live in, the vision that Alexei offers or the vision that someone else offers. But the choice and the democratic process is vital and historic and something that all good people in this world must advocate for. Absolutely. And I think at a time when, for very understandable reasons, a lot of people are feeling very negatively about Russia and about Russians, it's so important that you produce a film that shows heroism, it shows great intelligence, it shows brilliance, it shows bravery, and it shows that there are people there who could take the country in another direction. I appreciate you bringing that up because... It's a really smart read of this moment in time specifically. We premiered this film at Sundance in January when this war was something that I thought would be impossible. Well, now we see Putin for who he truly is, this murderer of children, this war criminal. And what I hope this film reminds the world is just as you said, Putin is not Russia and Russia is not Putin. There is another vision for what Russia could be, a vision that Alexei Navalny has been advocating for years. This is the vision that he is sacrificing his life for. And it's a beautiful Russia of the future where democracy, rule of law, freedom of the press and freedom of speech are respected and enshrined, where tyranny and corruption are not the base mode for society. And I think that whether you agree with Alexei or not, he demands the world's support and attention because his vision of a beautiful Russia of the future is inspiring hopeful, vital, and one that I hope comes true someday for all of my friends in Russia. Daniel Raw, thank you so much for joining us in the bunker. Daniel's amazing film, Navalny, is I know out in theatrical release in the UK, and I'm sure I cannot commend it too highly. Well, thank you guys so much for having me, and I have appreciated your, your coverage of the Navalny story from the very beginning, so thank you. Listeners, remember there's a new Bunker Daily every Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday with Start Your Week on Mondays, the main panel show on Tuesdays and the Culture Bunker on Saturdays. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. If you like this episode, why not share it with three friends using the Bunker Up hashtag? 
You can also back the bunker on the crowdfunding platform Patreon. Just see our Twitter or Facebook or search Patreon Bunker Podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. The Bunker Daily was presented by Arthur Snell. The producers were Jacob Archibald, Yelena Sofonievich and Alex Reese. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tuned by Kenny Dickinson, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Thank you.